my, what a first hour we had this morning preparing for our study in the book of the Revelation, chapter 4 and following. And I want to invite those who may be here now that weren't with us in the first hour, get in on this study. Get to see how God is working now and will be working in the future concerning his, his future. So get in on that uh, next week and gain the benefit of it uh, with us. Take your Bible, if you would, right now and turn with me to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. I know we were just in 104, but I want you to come back to the 101st, 106th Psalm with me. And I want to also give you full disclosure this morning. I've got a bit of an echo going on, so if we can get that down a bit. Thank you. Still pretty hot. Can you tell that? An echo? No, is it just me? Just haven't been in the pulpit for a while. Okay. Full disclosure is this. Uh, weeks prior, when Pastor Convey, uh, weeks that Marshall and I might be uh, bringing the word, uh, the privilege to have to do that, I had already determined that I wanted to hit this particular topic. Uh, this is weeks gone by. I knew immediately, had, had determined for some time, I want to hit this theme. Uh, It's God's providence. It's this week. I understand that. But I want to give you two reasons why I had it on on my heart and for my own study to to come to this doctrine of of thankfulness. One is the fact that the Bible is, is very clear on the fact that it is possible for us to offer worship to God that is totally unacceptable to Him. In fact, there's more than one place in the Bible where God conveys to the nation of Israel, and he says this, I hate your worship. Read the first chapter of Isaiah on your own, not while I'm preaching, but imagine that. And imagine if we could sing these kinds of songs that we sang this morning that are totally worthy of our God. And you could walk out of this facility this morning, and you could hear the voice of God. Now, he doesn't speak to us audibly that way, but let's say if he did, wouldn't it be something for God to say to you, yes, you came and you went through this, and you did the, listened to the Bible, read, and you sang these, but I hate what you just did. Your worship was totally just going through the motions or whatever else. So we want to have worship to God that is acceptable and pleasing to him. There's a second reason that I wanted to tackle this particular theme, and that is concerning my desire in my own heart and my own life to pass the test on being a thankful person. Because I know you will not be able to identify with me when I say this, I am not always as thankful as I ought to be. Maybe it's a time that you ought to say, amen, right? So I'm conveying to you up front for this week and next Sunday that I'm I'm going to continue this, that I'm not not pulling out my um, Thanksgiving message that I try to preach every year to try to just just do, do what my mom used to say to me. She used to say oftentimes, can't you just try a little harder to be good, and that I would be preaching today and say, can't you just try a little harder 
to be thankful, maybe just a little more than you were last year with this coming year. That is not my intent at all, though if you were more thankful in the coming year or right now, that would be good, but that, that is not my intent. And Pastor, what is your intent? It is to bring the Scriptures on this topic to bear upon our hearts today and next Lord's Day. And as we do so, I'm, I'm going to remind you today and next Lord's Day, if there is a lack of thankfulness in your life as there ought to be, it is not a weakness. It is a most grievous sin against God for more than one reason. So let's bring the word to bear upon this in Psalm 106. I trust you've turned, turned there. Today it's foundational. We're only going to get halfway through this uh, bulletin outline today. It's all foundational, the basis, the very foundation of, our, of this particular truth in the word of God, where, where it's all built upon. And then next Sunday, next Lord's Day, I, I want to cover really the function from the perspective of verses about this. And if I would just go through the Bible and cover this theme verse by verse all over the Bible, it would take me longer than Marshall's series in Revelation, and that's going to be a long time. <laughs> because the Bible is saturated with this truth, this doctrine, this truth about being grateful. So you're in Psalm 106. And let's begin this way. I want to begin this morning by telling you, I trust we'll have it likewise on the, uh, on the overhead and in the bulletin if you're just going to jot some notes down. The first point with reference to this particular issue is I want to call your attention to above all else that the issue of thankfulness is a theological issue. Okay? So thankfulness is a matter of your and my theology, and your and my view of God, how I view him in light of who I am, and whatever and all of all things that whatever he has done in my life. Now, everybody has a view of God. I don't care who you are this morning here, you do have a view of God. There's a view of which you know, perceive, and understand about God as to what he's like, and how what he is like, how it impacts your daily life. That's your theology. And different people have different theologies, different views of God. Some people view God as uh, they're grateful Christmas is coming because they view God as a cosmic Santa and that he exists to provide for them and make them happy and do things for them, for you. And so we see not we existing for him, but him existing for us, things in our life that we might perceive, that we might desire. Recently in the news, you perhaps heard somebody express their view of God. They were a professional athlete. She was playing her last um, soccer game in her profession, professional career, and she was hurt. Um, and in light of her, I don't know if she blew out her knee or something of that nature, but was injured, and she made a statement that caught the news. Maybe you heard it, did you? She made the statement, this professional soccer player, that now I know God doesn't exist. And that reflected her view of God. Now, maybe she was being cynical, 
But I think she was being a bit serious. And in that statement that she made, she is saying something to the effect that if these things happen to me and they're bad, I don't even know if he exists. That's her view of God. Some people have a view of God that God is uh, like a uh, heavenly ogre that just is, he's angry with us all the time and the bad things coming into her, hard things that God's coming down on us and he's working against us and and, and he, he's not a good God. He's anything but that. And that, that reflects their, their take. Now, I had you turn to Psalm 106. And Psalm 106 conveys to us something about our intended theology. 106 says, praise the Lord. There is our worship. And then it tells us a main reason to do so. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. A way to express this praise. Excuse me. He's telling us a way to praise him is what we're seeking to do, I hope this morning, to give thanks to him. And then he tells us why. For he is, and everybody say it with me, he is what? Oh, he is good. And it is repeated. We turn over to chapter 107 of our Bible and we look at the first verse. And it's the same thing again. And if we were to go through the Psalms verse by verse this morning, and we would look at all those verses that are calling us to praise God and to do so by the giving of thanks based upon his goodness, we would find this this concept of giving thanks over 60 times in the Psalms. It's interesting that the book of Psalms is a theological book. It tells us about God, and then it tells us how to respond to God in the giving of thanks to him, and then it tells us why. Because he's what? Because he's good. He is good. And the Bible teaches us that God is absolute essence of goodness. And if we're going to have our theology right, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian this morning, you know, Christ is your personal Savior. You get your theology one place, don't you? You get it from the Scriptures. You get it from the Bible. And here's one of the things, again, that he's telling us about God, that God, that he is, he is good. In fact, he is the absolute essence of all that is good. One of the things the Scriptures teach to us is that there is one God, and that God alone is good. In fact, in Mark 10, 18, Jesus said, there's no one good except God. No one good except him. He is the absolute essence of goodness in our lives, or as his being, as his person. In fact, when we had the uh, this, this series that Dave Krombacher taught on the attributes of God, and he was covering some of those attributes that we call communicable attributes or moral attributes. Dave pointed out to us that some of these communicable attributes that are true of God, which would also be intended to be true of us, things like patience and kindness and mercy and love, are all evidence or essence of God's goodness. Because he's good, he's loving. Because he's good, he is kind. Out of his goodness comes mercy. And all of these, in a real sense, are the very essence of the goodness of God. It is no wonder, then, 
that we are called to this giving of thanks to him because of its nature, the reality that he's good. And your theology, your proper understanding of God will motivate you to be thankful when you understand just how good he is. So now we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to be turning around to a few passages in our Bible this morning to the book of James, if you would. Turn with me now to the book of James because of who God is and what God is like. He is worthy of, and we are here, I pray, to worship him. And an essence of that worship is to give thanks unto his name. Songs that we sang this morning, we could sing every week. Now, finding the book of James in the first chapter and reflecting upon just how good is God to you and what does that produce in you. James chapter 1, verse 13 through verse 15 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and himself does not tempt anyone, and so forth. When, when we give in to temptation, when we're enticed by sin, and we surrender to it, James is telling us we don't get to blame God for that. Because God is not evil, and he doesn't tempt us to evil, and he gives us resources that we don't have to give into that sin or that temptation part of his goodness to us. And then he says in verse 16, now do not be deceived. Look at James 1, 16, my beloved brethren. For every good thing given, oh stop, what did we just read? Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. No change. God is immutable. But notice the beginning of the passage. What did I read? Every good thing given, every perfect gift that we experience in this life comes from where? Comes from who? From God. Every pleasure that you experience in life, every blessing, blessings that we Reminded of this morning in the study of the Revelation, every provision, every common grace from the warmth of the sun to the rest that he gave you last night to the turkey you ate this week comes from him. You say, no, came from mom, she cooked it. And dad, he provided for it. No, the goodness of God is that you had food, that you have people in your life, that God would give you provision to pro provide for that food, and every other blessing of life is ultimately from God. So my thanks, your thanks, begins with and just starts with the fact of the nature of God and the goodness of God in every aspect, every undeserved gift, privilege, in my life comes from him comes from him now that be so that be so then we still have a problem don't we 
we still have a problem. We know that God's goodness in your and my life is a cause for a thankful life. But we have a problem. And the problem is, then why are we so often, in so many ways, so unthankful? And why? Why? And you know the problem, don't you? Now, you could say this morning, and I, I pray that you do, you could say today, I know Christ is my Savior. I truly have repented of my sin and turned to Christ and believed upon him as my Savior, and I'm trusting in what he did on the cross. He did for me and paid for my sins, and I believe that, and I've trusted him, and I'm saved. And if I know anything today, that I, if I would die today, I go into his presence, not because of anything I've done, but what he's done, and God brought me to himself by his grace. Can you say amen to that? So you can say that and you can rejoice in that. At the same time, you can say, well, then why? Why do I lack this so in my life? Why? And we know. It is a faithful saying. Christ came into the world, Paul said, to save sinners. And what did he say? Among whom I am what? I'm first foremost of all, chief. It is a reality, and that is a post-conversion by Paul statement about him. He was aware. He was so aware of it. So the reality is I, I, I know that I am yet a sinner, and I do not, now get this, I am not naturally, automatically overflowing with gratitude. It does not just happen because I'm a believer. In fact, if I don't guard my heart, Proverbs 423, I'm supposed to guard my heart, watch over it. If I'm not in the Word, if I'm not thinking right, if I don't have right theology, if, I, if I'm not thinking right, then I, I tend to think that whatever good I deserve in life, I get in life, I deserve it. In fact, there are sometimes I receive good things in life, and I think not only that I deserve it, there's time I think I deserve better. You say, why isn't somebody else preaching today if that'd be true of you? Because it's true of you too. That's our condition. That's the way we are, sadly. Doesn't excuse it. Stuart Scott in his helpful little booklet on pride and humility, he talks at the very beginning of the section on how pride surfaces in our lives, that one of the ways of pride and sin surfaces in our life is that we're not grateful people. So he says this, proud people usually think they deserve what is good. The result is they see no reason to be thankful for what they receive. As a matter of fact, they may even complain because they think they deserve, everybody say it, they deserve they tend to be critical, complaining, and discontent. The proud person is not in the practice of being thankful toward God or others. And so here it is. Listen carefully. So if my thankfulness to this good God, if my thankfulness is conditioned by, if it is controlled and conditioned by the things that happen to me, then the things that I don't like I don't like a lot of things. How about you? Things, things that are uncomfortable for me. Things that happen to me. 
that bring pain or sorrow. The struggle with sin. When that's going on then, and if I, if I am gauging my thankfulness by my circumstances, then what I will do, what I will do is I will then give myself a license to be ungrateful because I don't like what's going on in my life. Now, I'm behaving like a person who is not a believer. And I've lost my theology. I've lost sight of God. I've lost sight of all the goodness to which he has showered upon my life. So, oh boy, when that happens, if and when I stop thinking right, And how good and worthy God is. Giving thanks. And I don't like the things that, that don't, I don't like that happen to me. The point is, when my thankfulness is conditional based upon what's going on this level, under the sun, remember? I'm not thankful. And I've lost sight of my theology. I'm not being living my theology. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Oh my, what a chapter. So, I can easily then say, it's all right for my grandkids to call me grumpy grandpa because I've had a hard day. And I get to give myself a license to be unkind and unthoughtful and complaining because I don't like what's going on. And I have lost sight of God. Now, so there are things in life that are hard. There are things in life, especially when it comes to the fact that I experience any pain, let alone just average discontent, like sitting in an airplane. That's when I pray for the rapture. Okay, when that's going on, when that's taking place in my life, and it's something that it may even be hurting me, I'm again forgetting my theology because Romans chapter 8, oh, a verse we all know. Romans 8, 28. We didn't need to turn there, did we? We know it by heart, don't we? Romans 8, 28. Here it is. Here it is. Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 28, verse. And we know that God, here we are, that God causes, you don't even want to say it, do you? I'm going to make you say it with me. He causes, that's so weak. He causes what? All things. To work together for what? Oh. And if he be good, he is worthy of our thanks. And we know what he's doing to those who love God, to those who are the called. Called according to his purpose. That's believers. This is only about believers. This is only about Christians. Then he says in verse 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. 
to become conformed to the image of his son. His son is Jesus Christ. We know, verse 28, he's working even in the things that are hurting me, that God is good yet, loving yet, not working against me, but working what in my life? He's working good. What a privilege we have to know this as a believer. He's working good. So not to be conditional by my circumstances, but to live my theology every day, what I know about God and how good he is to me in my life. Now, we often say dare to be a Daniel, so find the book of Daniel, if you would. Thank you for moving around in your Bible with me. Just be thankful we're not covering all those 61 verses in the Psalms that all mention Thanksgiving. That would take a lot of time, wouldn't it? But I do want you to see someone who had his head on straight and lived his theology, and that's our man Daniel. Now, you didn't need to turn there to know that because you, you've already read the book of Daniel and heard much about Daniel's life since you went to Sunday school. But I want you to turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 6, the chapter on Daniel being tossed into the lion's den. I want you to turn there, please, if you would. And remember, Daniel 6, 4, what a statement. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground, a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no grounds of accusation or corruption inasmuch he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So then these men said, we, we shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel, that is his life, <laughs> unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. So what did they do? They went to the king and they said to the king, we need to pass this law that anyone who bows to anything else other than you because, of course, you, the king, your deity and any other god is unacceptable, and so you would sign the decree that anyone else bowing to any other god other than to you would be thrown into the lion's den. Now we move to verse 10. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now his roof chamber had his windows open toward Jerusalem toward where God set his presence known among his people in the temple, which he was far away from at this time. But he turned to that direction and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and doing what? Wait a minute. Didn't he just find out that a decree was passed? And very likely, God hasn't revealed to him. There's nothing in the scriptures about that. Didn't he just find out some very, very bad news? Didn't he? He sure did, didn't he? But what does it say? Praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. Now circumstances appear they're really going to change for Daniel, but nothing has changed about God. Nothing. So whatever he has in mind here, Daniel says, nothing's changed here. Give thanks. Give thanks. Or remember if you learn A-C-T-S of your praying, of your prayer life. Adoration, confession, 
A-C-T. What's T get us to? Thanks. Then supplication. And notice we even see that in his praying. Down in verse 11, then it says, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. I'm not suggesting he didn't say, Lord, will you help me in this? But I am affirming to you the fact that he did not stop giving God thanks. So, you fail to acknowledge the goodness of God in your life will rob him of glory due for it. Here's the very essence, very essence of his goodness. Life of believer is an affront to the goodness of God, a failure to live what we say that we believe when we say that we believe that God is worthy of thanks because he is supremely supremely good. Now, number two. That leads to number two. This, I'm only going to get halfway. That's number two in the bulletin this morning. And that is this, that thankfulness in your life, this is foundational, okay? Thankfulness in your life is a matter of your and my soteriology. Of our soteriology. Now, now is that a disease? What is that? Soteriology. No, that's the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation is soteriology. And here is the very essence of God's goodness. That some of you are just saying, why doesn't he get to that? <laughs> the essence of God's goodness is his salvation. That God saves sinners. And the essence of understanding that in our soteriology and what is at the heart, what is at the heart of this word. This is from the Greek word in the New Testament of uh, soterios, soterion. It kind of sounds like soteriology, that's by intent. And when you read that Greek word in the New Testament, you discover that it's translated saved or salvation. Now I want you to come to another passage in the Old Testament, if you would, and I want you to come to the, I believe it's the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. It's about your soteriology. So I'm asserting primary cause in the life of a Christian will be that when you rightly understand what is at the very core of this concept of salvation. And it gets down to one word. <laughs> Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to state it in just a moment. Exodus chapter 14, and we have Israel having been delivered, exit out of Egypt, and now they're at the Red Sea. And as they're at the Red Sea, God hardens Pharaoh's heart again, and he gets his chariots together and all of his army. Verse 6, Exodus 14, 6. So he made his chariots ready and took his people with him, and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Verse 9, then the Egyptians chased after them all their worth. And then the people said, it's okay, because we promised to trust God. 
Did you read that? I just inserted that, okay? They said in verse 11, it's because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt with us in this way? Bring us out of Egypt. Down in verse 13, but Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand and see, watch the salvation of the Lord. The word at the core of soteriology, when you look it up, for instance, when you look it up in a a Greek dictionary, it doesn't mean Old, Old Testament or New Testament, you'll see that the idea in a Greek dictionary or just in a theological dictionary, it is the idea to convey deliverance from danger or destruction. At the core of the word salvation is the word deliverance. That's at the heart of it. That is the very core of it. So when Moses was saying, stand and watch the salvation of the Lord, watch how God is now going to what? Deliver you. It's deliverance more than it is anything else. And it's deliverance for them from the armies and perceived death that was going to take place unless God interceded. So, okay, okay then, what, what am I saying? What, what, is, what is soteriology? What is salvation? You say, well, it's about the cross. Yes, that's the means of it, but really, what is the idea if I say define salvation? Is it about, is, is it about God improving your life and making you a better you? Is that what's at the core of this? Is it about having Jesus in your life so you're a better football player? Is salvation at the core of this world, is it the idea of you got all these other aspects of your life together, you know, you're doing well in your job and, and marriage or whatever else, but you, you're the spiritual pie in this circle. So you, you need the spiritual thing. So bring Jesus into this because we're spiritual people. Is that what's the core of this thing? Of salvation? Beloved, I'm telling you today, we've got to get the gospel right, but we've got to get salvation right. It is the gospel that produces this salvation, and this salvation is about being delivered. And it's being delivered from, if anything, well, let's let the Bible interpret this. Now come back to the book of Romans. Come back to the book of Romans, and while you're turning there, repeat with me. Repeat, I love to turn in my Bible. Amen, good. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. What have you been delivered from? What have you been delivered from? See, at the heart of this, God's goodness and thankfulness is what he's done in our lives. What have we been delivered from, though? Romans chapter 1 I'm not even there. Look at Romans chapter 1. Oh, my. The reality of man's rebellion against God. And verse 21, Romans first chapter, verse 21, says that even though they, who's they, those who are um, rejecting God, verse 18 says, for the wrath of God. I want you to notice that. But we get to 21. Even though they knew God, they did not honor God or give what? Give thanks. 
an unthankful believer is a, a in old-fashioned terminology, it's a saint who's living like an ain't. A lack of thankfulness characterizes the unregenerate. So they didn't give thanks. We get over into chapter 2. Go to chapter 2 with me, and he says in chapter 2, in effect, people who are the, are the moralists who say, well, I'm not as bad as them, he in effect says, you're just as bad and worse. Because you think you're all right, you think you're better. In verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, but you do suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same likewise, or yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? But, look at verse 5 now, stay with me. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. In the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God when you appear before him. Do you know what you're doing this morning if you're not saved and you know it and God knows it? You're storing up wrath. Do you know that if you're saved today, you've been delivered from the just wrath of God upon your life? The wages of sin is what? Death, and that's eternal death, and that's about wrath. The unbeliever is storing up wrath for the day of judgment. The believer has, has escaped wrath. Turn over in chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. What is salvation? It is about a deliverance. Chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is his goodness. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved, or we could read it, we shall be delivered from what? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. Someday you may have been assigned in school. I doubt they do it anymore. But somebody might have assigned to you the, the famous uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, sermon on sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he's got them dangling over the, the fires of hell. And you might have read that and say, I don't get it. Then you don't understand what the Bible's saying. That's where you are today without Christ. You're under condemnation and just do wrath. For your rebellion against him so we're saved from god and we're saved to god and we're saved by god amen amen and you get unthankful friend you just don't know that you don't know what you've been delivered from you've forgotten your soteriology You've forgotten your deliverance. You've forgotten your salvation. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm not going to go on about it, but he tells us about the fact we've not only been delivered from the wrath, we've been delivered to God, to him, brought into his family, become children of God. All these blessings that are brought to us as his child. God's goodness, God's grace to us. So, turn with me one more place, just one more, over to the book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2. 
if we were to go to the book of Jude, we will not do that, we would see that at the end of the book of Jude, Jude talks about salvation as snatching people from the fire. That's a deliverance, isn't it? Colossians chapter 2. Your soteriology, your understanding of your great salvation, your deliverance should cause something to overflow from your life. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with... This thing has come out of you based upon God doing this work in your life. Now in the new life and in Christ and in your sanctification, you can't help, you can't help but be thankful. And I'm going to come back to these next verses, but uh, uh, I'm stopping right there. I told you some time ago about uh, when I was in grade school where my wife and I grew up in our little town in Wisconsin, that down below our little main street was the feed mill, and down below the feed mill was a creek or crick, whichever you want to call it. It was like a river to us. And we didn't have a pool in our little community. That was the local pool down there. Man, there was a, down below the feed mill, there was one great um, spot there, was fairly wide, and it had embankment up behind it. Maybe I told you this, if I did, but I, we would climb up behind it, and it was 10,000 feet up behind it. Seemed like a jump in, and the high schoolers were doing it, and I'm in grade school, and I want to prove that I can do anything that they do. So I got up there, and I jumped off that thing, and I went down, and I didn't come up. And to this day, I can still remember, you know those moments in your life that are just there? You can come right back to them right now. I can come right back to that right now. I come right back to see I'm looking up into this dirty water and the kind of light, but I'm trying. Now you're saying you dreamed that. No, I was there, man. I'm looking up like this, and, and, and I'm, I, my breath came out, and I couldn't get out. And two big high school hands grabbed a hold of me and pulled me up and pushed me toward the sure that little spot I'm I am very certain without his help oh boy that would have been it I don't think what I, I don't I don't think I told you this it is years 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 later Deborah and I our first year of marriage we lived in Dubuque Iowa and we're there in Dubuque and we're having lunch with our family and we go to this restaurant and we're sitting there and people coming in. And in the restaurant was a, an, a counter area. You could sit up to the counter and get your, get your food, make your order. And I, as I'm looking around there, I looked over and I said, look at this guy. I go, that's him. That's Chuck Daly. And you know, you can be wrong, right? People mistake me for Brad Pitt all the time. I have to correct them <laughs> on that. And you can be wrong. So I go up, and I say, hey, 
You Chuck Daly? He looked, turned at me. Yeah, who are you? I told him who I, who I was. Well, I had to tell him. What did I have to tell him? What did I have to tell him? Oh, I had to tell him thanks. I had to tell him thanks. I don't know if you remember. No. <laughs> but I sure do. And you pulled me out of water. And I tried to tell him more about a greater deliverance to which God had brought into my life. How could I not thank that man? And what has happened to you? I'm asking you this morning, have you been delivered from the wrath to come? Because you're under it right now if you've not repented of your sin and turned to Christ. You're under that wrath. But if you've been delivered from that wrath, you have reason to continually sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. I didn't desire it. I didn't look for it. I didn't, I didn't want it necessarily, but you brought it to me. And that reflects the fact that, God, you are good in every way. Now, that's foundational. That's the basic bottom line of this whole thing. And if that's not true, this is my warning to us, and next Sunday we come back to all these particular statements that have reference to how this functions in our life. But, but see, if, if that would be true of you, if that would be true of us, we can come, we can go through the motions, we can sing the stuff, we can hear the reading of the Word, we can hear the preaching of the Word, and there'll be nothing, nothing acceptable to God with it. And all we've done is brought more accountability and more potential wrath upon our lives. Repent today if you never have, and if you have, thank Him right now with me. Let's bow together. Oh, give praise to the Lord. Give thanks, for he is good. If we sought to begin to count the ways, Lord, today, we could go on all night and beyond. Some we recognize, others we don't, we take for granted. Forgive us for times when we have not lived what we say we believe. Forgive us for times that we have even come here or other places to supposedly give worship and our hearts were so far from you or anything about an awareness of how worthy you are. Times our hearts weren't cleansed, times our, our, our sin was not dealt with in families, times that we, we, we were just self-focused and how that can so hurt our worship and oh, so grieve you. So may this be more than a holiday, for it will be a reflection of a pursuit of holiness in the lives of your people. All of this for which we give you thank, give you thanks and all glory. And all of his people said, Amen.